0: Point Church Sermons. This sermon was preached by Pastor Scott Kappelman during a Sunday worship service. We hope you enjoy and share the message. This morning, I would love for you to take your Bible and go with me to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 3. We'll get there in just a few minutes. Um, Most of you are pretty much aware, but a few of you may not be, that uh, my family took a trip leaving on Christmas Day and coming back on New Year's Eve, and we went to Washington, D.C. So when Kelly and I got married 30 years ago, uh, we went to Canada. We went to Banff and Lake Louise, and then on our 10th anniversary, we went on a cruise, and then on our 20th anniversary, we went to New York City for the first time. And so as uh, we got closer and closer to this 30th anniversary, She said, where are we going? And I said, well, we're taking the kids to Washington, and that's going to replace our trip. So we ended up going to Washington with our kids. Uh, They had not ever been to Washington, D.C., and so we had worship that morning at the office, and then we left from Memphis, Tennessee, and caught a flight directly to uh, Washington. And uh, when we got to the Washington airport, we made a family picture on Christmas Day in the Reagan National Airport. And then by the evening, after we checked into the hotel, we were just five blocks from the White House. We walked down to the White House, and we made our photograph right in front of the White House on Christmas Day, which was kind of significant for Clancy. Uh, Two years ago, on July the 4th, we were at Mount Rushmore, and this year on Christmas, we were at the White House, uh, obviously not inside, but we were outside the gate on the backside, and uh, we had a great time. And then while we were there, we did a number of things, just uh, traveling around the city. We went to Arlington National Cemetery, uh, saw the changing of the guard, and then on Tuesday we went to a Washington Wizards game. Uh, and then there was one day there where we went to just kind of see all the monuments. And uh, that particular day it was cold while we were out, and the the reflecting pool there at the National Mall was frozen. And so there were people walking all the way across from one side to the other. And Eli said, I want to do that. I want my picture made uh, out on the ice at the National Mall on the reflecting pool. So we got a photograph of him. Now, you'll notice he did not walk all the way across. He just went (laughs) just about that far. And let me just say this. If you ever plan to go to Washington, it's a lot of fun. We had a great time. Uh, One of the things that we learned, though, is I had planned for all the expenses. I knew exactly how much everything was going to cost. Right down to the penny. But then we got there, we stayed at a hotel, an embassy suite, five blocks from the White House, and uh, they served breakfast every morning. I thought, this is great. We can just load up with breakfast, and we did. Then we would leave the hotel, walk down to the metro to go where we were going. I mean, we had just left the hotel and all that breakfast. And we would sit down the metro, and Eli'd say, Well, when are we eating again? And I'd say, son, we just ate. And you know how it is. You're supposed to go back and get a clean plate every time you get a new pile of food. It was, there were four plates, mine, Kelly's, Carly Beth's, and Clancy's. And then there was this stack every morning to breakfast. And then we'd get on the metro and he'd say, well, when are we eating again? I said, we just ate, son. Then he'd pull out an apple or a banana that he had picked up in the little area where we ate breakfast. I, I did not account for the amount of money that we would spend on him eating alone. So if you have a teenage boy, a college-age boy, and you go to Washington, D.C., you may want to pack another suitcase of money just to take care of the eating needs of your child. But uh, we had a great time. But one of the places that we stopped and we walked to was the new Martin Luther King Jr. statue. And we saw it during the daytime. And it's a very fascinating statue. And uh, since this is Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, I just want to kind of talk a little bit about this because its location, everything in Washington is strategic if you've ever been there. Everything is strategic. And so this particular statue has Martin Luther King Jr. facing Thomas Jefferson's memorial in the distance. And the reason is Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence. He wrote a lot of other founding documents, but he talked a lot about how we are all created equal in God's sight. And so this statue is Martin Luther King Jr. facing Thomas Jefferson's statue to remind him the work's not finished. The work is not finished. Because not everybody in the United States may be equal yet. And so it's kind of an interesting concept that Martin Luther King Jr. is facing Thomas Jefferson to hold him accountable for what he wrote. So then one of the other fun things that we did is we took a night trolley tour of the lights of Washington, D.C. It was probably the highlight of our trip because we loaded onto this little trolley that left at dark about 630. It was gone for two hours and we just rode and had a, a host who was speaking on the trolley telling us about the various sites that we were seeing and the lights, and so we went you know, to the Capitol, we went to the Washington Monument, we went to Lincoln's Memorial, we went all of those places that night, seeing the lights and getting the stories behind the scenes. And when we came to the Martin Luther King Jr. statue at night, before we got off our trolley host, his name was Smiley, his wife works in the State Department, she's at the top level that works for the Secretary of State, And so he said, I want you to get off of this trolley, go back out to the Martin Luther King Jr. site. If you've been out there, go again. And I want you to come back and tell me what's strange about it, what's different. And so when I went back out there, I kind of had an idea in mind because I'd kind of paid attention. when We were there in the daytime. But if you go back and look at it at night, you'll notice that the bottom is unfinished. You've got his head and you've got his torso and he's holding the Probably a copy of the I Have a Dream speech, but the bottom portion of that statue is unfinished. And it is a reminder that the work of us getting along as citizens in America, the civil rights movement, is unfinished. It's unfinished. So again, it's all strategic. And again, he's looking at Thomas Jefferson's memorial, saying to him, you said we're all created equal. Well, are we? And so there's, there's all of this interplay going on as you look at this statue. And it made me realize as we thought about this coming weekend, the Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, I think at Crosspoint, I think we do a really good job of reaching across lines racially and ethnically. I think we do. We have African-American people in our church. We've got a Nepali uh, in Sarav, And we've got other nationalities represented periodically. We've got our friends from the Ukraine here today. And so I'm not here to blast us as a church. I just want to kind of remind us that this is an ongoing struggle that as believers, we've got to be a part of the solution of bringing people together. And the only way I really know that it happens is in Jesus Christ. He's the unifier. And if you go back to the first century, and that's what I want to go back to the book of Galatians to do this morning is When we go back to the first century, it was a struggle for them. It's an ongoing struggle. It happened in the first century. It happens in our current year of 2023. It is always going to be a struggle for us to relate to people of other races and to relate to people from other ethnicities. But in Jesus Christ, we finally have this opportunity to show the world what it looks like in this unfinished work. And so I want to read for you from Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading in verse 27. I'm going to to verse 29. And here's what it says. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. So, this is what we need to understand when we dive into this particular location in the book of Galatians. First of all, Paul wrote this and he wrote it as a circular letter. It's a circular letter, that means it wasn't sent to just one church if we were to put it in 2023, it's not like Paul was writing just to the church at Crosspoint. This would have been a church to the churches of Starkville. So that's kind of the concept. I've got a a map that's first going to have a little red territory in it to kind of help you see the territory called Galatia. It's a territory in Asia Minor in the first century. And then the Second map that you will see beyond the red map is, is one where it's really kind of a dark green. And again, it's the same territory that's listed in the red, but it's now in green. And you can kind of see more a little bit about the roadways and the, and the cities. And there were actually multiple churches that were going to receive this letter. And as one of them read it, it was then passed to the next one in the same territory. It's all in the territory called Galatia. And so there were several churches, I I wrote these down, there was a church at Antioch, there was a church at Derby, there was a church at Iconium, and there was a church at Lystra. And all of those were churches that we know based on the book of Acts. When Paul went on these missionary journeys, he would travel through territories, and we know that he stopped in those four locations, Antioch, Derby, Iconium, and Lystra. And each one of those was located in the territory at the time that was known as Galatia. So most likely Paul wrote this letter in the New Testament and it was sent to one of those and then as soon as they finished reading it, they passed it to the next one and they passed it to the next one and they passed it to the next one. Why? Because the message was the same for all of them. And the message was this. How do we get along in Christ? How do we get along in Christ? Now, a lot of times... When you've read the book of galatians in the past or when i've read the book of galatians in the past we kind of dive into it with this understanding that it's a micro version of the book of romans that's usually what we think the book of romans is probably the most theologically rich book in the entire new testament and many people scholars included believe that galatians was kind of a micro version of romans that he sent to these churches in galatia but if you read it just at face value, go start in chapter one, verse one, and go all the way to the end of the book and just read it at one time, you'll find that really it's about reconciliation among people who are different from each other. It's a book about reconciliation. It does have some theology, but if you read it just from one end to the other, like it was read to them, they didn't read it verse by verse and take it and exposit it one piece at a time. They read the letter in its entirety. And when they heard it, they heard Paul saying, how do we get along in Jesus Christ? That was the critical issue. And he said, the reason you need to answer this is because you've got Jews and you've got Gentiles in your church now. And this is the first time those two groups have come together. And you've got men and you've got women in your church. And men, this was a patriarchal culture in the first century. And so what do we do when we have women that we've always seen as property? Now they're our sisters in Christ. How do men and women get along? And then for the first time, because of Jesus Christ, you've got free people and slaves who are meeting together in the local church. And that was uncommon. It was unheard of. It was astounding that Jesus Christ could bring Jews, Gentiles, men, women, free, and slave all together in the same place to worship Him. And so Paul had to write a letter. And he said, it's going to be a struggle. It's not going to be easy. Because this is all new for you. And you know what? In 2023, it's still a struggle for us. Now, again, I want to brag on our church. I think we do a way better job than some churches I've been a part of in the past. I think we really do strive to get to know each other and love each other in Jesus Christ. So again, I'm not trying to blast us as a church. I'm just trying to remind us of how important this issue is and how it is still, even in 2023, an unfinished work. And that's going to bring us to this little section that we've read in Galatians. Now, one of the questions I wanted us to think about is where do we learn... This issue of prejudice, because that's the real issue in the first century is still the issue in 2022. The issue's is prejudice. It's the real issue. And let me say up front, all of us, I don't care who you are in the room, all of us struggle with prejudice. And I, I wrote my own definition this week of what I believe prejudice is. You might not agree with it. You don't have to. But this is my definition of prejudice. Prejudice is the feeling. It's a feeling. It's our feeling. That's why I want to start with feeling prejudice is a feeling that I am better than other people. Which causes me to treat them in a way. That strips away their God given dignity and worth as his creation. That's my definition of prejudice. Let me read it again. Prejudice is the feeling. That I am better than other people which causes me to treat them in a way that strips away their God-given dignity and worth as his creation. And so I think it's something we all struggle with. It, it's, it's not just a, a white person's issue. It's not just an African-American person's issue. It's not just an international person's issue. We all struggle with it. There, there's just times in our life where we feel like we're a little more significant than somebody else. And because we feel that way, we treat them as less than they really are as God's creation. So it's led me to ask this week, where where do we get our prejudices? And I came up with three. There are probably ten more, but I just came up with the big three. Number one is our parents. If you're a mom or dad here today, let let me just encourage you, if you're a grandparent, you have a huge ability to influence the way your children view other people in the world. And so one of the places where i think we probably learn our prejudices first is from our parents our grandparents now this is why i would say that if we were to go downstairs right now to the bottom level where our nursery is kept and we were to go in that room and i know our our ladies who are over our children's ministry would love for you to sign up to help in the nursery and then you could see this firsthand so if you want to see carrie and lauren they're right back here if you want to help in the nursery, you can go view this for yourself. But let's just say one Sunday we go downstairs to where the nursery's kept, and we go in, and there's two or three little African-American children, and there are two or three white children, and there are two or three international children, and just two or three children. We don't even know how to identify them. They're just, they're all, there are 12 kids there, and they're all just playing. But you know what they're doing? They're just playing. They're having a good time. They're, they're not sitting over in the corner going, well, he's, he's African-American, and I'm white. I can't play with him. Or, oh, she, she's from Nepal. I Can't play with her. Like little kids, don't, they don't understand the things that we understand. They don't even look at life the same way. They just play. They're just kids. They're all kids, and they're playing together. So that means somewhere along the way, they have to pick this idea up of being better than someone else or looking down at people in a different way. And my first guess is it probably comes from our parents and our grandparents. So if you're a parent here today, just understand the power that you hold in your hands to create prejudices in your children. The second place we get our prejudices is our politics. It's our politics. Because depending on which political party we affiliate with, that usually frames how we see life and how we see people. Because We may originally start by talking about the policies, but you can almost be assured every time we move from policies to people and we begin to castigate people based on our political affiliation as doing this or doing that. And so our politics is the second place that we get this. And then the third place is our own pride. The nature of human beings is we want to be better than other people. Satan has kind of planted that in our heart. I mean, he told Adam and Eve, What you've got here in the garden is not good enough. You could be something more if you'll eat this fruit. And because it appealed to their own pride and their arrogance to lift their level up a step, they ate the fruit thinking that they would be like God. Well, that that same issue of pride still resides in your heart and in mine. And so that's sometimes what drives us to look at other people and have a feeling that we're superior and they're less than. And so there are probably, again, 10 more that we could identify, but I think parents and politics and our own pride are three of the biggest issues that kind of generate our own prejudices. And again, we all struggle with this, me included. We all struggle with this. So as I've thought about this, I want to go back to what Paul said. Does Paul offer us any encouragement today? And how does he encourage us to work through the issue of prejudice If it is an issue, again, our church is not bad at this. I just think it's something we need to always keep at the forefront of our mind because we could easily slip back into old ways and old habits that are not healthy. And we may run into people who are believers in Jesus Christ that need to hear what we're talking about today, because as you interact with them, you know that they're filled with prejudice. And as a fellow believer, we have an obligation to help disciple them. So what? What does Paul offer us or how does Paul encourage us to overcome our prejudices and be united? That's the key phrase, be united in Christ. I'm going to give you four. So here's the first one. Make the gospel the centerpiece of all your relationships. That's where it all starts. Because as believers in Jesus Christ, we now see people not only as God's creations, but they are also the ones that God has redeemed In Jesus Christ. Well, let's go back to verse 27 in Galatians chapter 3. It says, for those of you who were baptized into Christ. Into Christ. There's nobody living on the planet. It doesn't matter if they're from the Sudan. It doesn't matter if they're from Iceland. It doesn't matter if they're from Brazil. The only hope that any one of those people have is Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. And so when we begin to look at people from that lens of the gospel, that the gospel is what has saved us. We were unworthy to be saved by Jesus Christ, but he died for us. He died for everyone. And if they'll put their faith in Jesus, they can be a believer in Jesus just like we are. And so we want to look at relationships strictly from a gospel perspective. So make the gospel center to all your relationships. Here's number two. Seek the Spirit's help to sanctify your outlook on people so you can have God's perspective on humanity. So seek the Spirit's help to sanctify the way you look at people. Let's go back to verse 27. For those of you who are baptized into Christ, the next phrase says, have been clothed with Christ. Have been clothed with Christ. That means we used to have an old garment. Let's just, let's just take this coat, for example. If, if this old coat represented the old way that I lived before I met Jesus Christ, when I meet Jesus Christ, He's going to say, would you take this coat off that you've been wearing? Would you just take that off? Because it, it doesn't reflect the kind of life that I want you to live. And I'm going to give you a new garment that's different. It's better. It's a holy garment. It's a righteous garment. I'm going to let you put that one on but this old one, don't, don't be putting that one back on. And this is our tendency is sometimes as believers, we're tempted to take the old coat because it's familiar and it, it's something we've worn for a long time and we try to put it back on. And Paul says, you can't do that. And one of those old things in the old coat was prejudice. He was looking at people as though they were less than us. And we looked at the world that way when we wore the old coat for years and years and years. Then we meet Jesus And we try to put that coat back on and Jesus says, you can't you can't do that. You've got to be clothed with the new coat that's called Christ. And when you put on the coat of Christ, you can't be prejudiced anymore. Because everybody's equal at the foot of the cross. Going back to our previous point, it's about the gospel being at the center of our relationships. And when you understand that, everybody you meet is either at the foot of the cross or they're not. And if they're at the foot of the cross, they're with you. So you can't put on that old coat. you got to put on and be clothed with Christ. Well, how does that happen? It's a sanctification process. It's a discipleship process. It's not something that's going to come naturally. I can't talk to you about it today, and then you go get in your cars and go home, and everything's worked out about your prejudices. It's not going to happen that quickly. It's a discipleship. These things are ingrained in us, so we have to work through them. And the only way I know to work through those is let the Spirit Clothe us in Christ. He's going to sanctify the way we look at the world, the way we look at people. And before long, as the Spirit sanctifies and disciples us, we're going to begin to see people like Jesus saw them. We're going to see people like the Father sees them. And so it's a work of the Spirit. If you don't have anything to pray about currently in your spiritual life, and you've got a few prejudices that you haven't let go of, then maybe over the next week, you can just begin to pray every morning as you're reading the Word of God. You can pray, Holy Spirit, Sunday I heard a message on prejudice. I'm trying to work through it, but it's still a problem. Would you help me continue to overcome it? And you know what the Spirit's going to do? He's going to help you. He's going to help me work through and sanctify the way we see people. And we're going to begin to have God's vision for them. Now, I'm going to put my coat back on, not because I'm trying to be a sinful, no good scoundrel. Uh, I'm just going to put my coat back on because it'll be easier for me to handle that way. So, but you get the point. Uh-oh. All right, now let's go to number three. Point number three. And it's going to be back in the book of Galatians. Again, same place, but it's this. Change your pronouns from they, their, and them to we, our, and in us. I want you to think about this. Have you ever been guilty of having a group of people that you might have just a little bit of prejudice toward and you stand back when you're having a conversation with someone else about that group of people with whom you have some prejudice and you go, they always do this. It's them. They're the problem. You know what we're doing when we do that? We're showing our prejudice with the use of the pronouns. I'm better than they are. If they would get their act together, if they weren't around, everything would be better. You know, where we see this a lot in politics. That's why I use politics as our example. Because in politics, it's always a they are the problem. It's them. They need to do this. Well, we've got to get rid of those pronouns. And we've got to use some different ones. And Jesus, it's we, our, and us. We're in this together. This is our problem to deal with. They're with us. So we got to work with them because they're with us. Now again, there, you kind of, even that statement is kind of conflicting because it starts with there, they're with us, you know. but you're working in the direction of the right use of pronouns. Well, how, how do we find that in Paul, what he says in Galatians? Let's go back to chapter 3. And uh, let me show you this, and let me read beginning in verse 27. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. And then it says there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. And then here it is. Since you are all one in Christ Jesus, you're all one. It's not a they and them. It's a we and our. We're together. We're all one in Christ. If you know Jesus Christ, you're in the room. Doesn't matter where you came from. We're all in this together. And so we got to change our pronouns. Then here's number four, the final one. Build relationships with your family. Build relationships with your family. One of our greatest struggles when it comes to prejudice is that we probably don't have many people that we're holding the prejudice against that are really our friends and that we know real well. We just don't do it real well. We, We... We artificially greet them. Hey, how are you? It's so good to see you. Well, we don't go to lunch with them. We don't invite them over to our house. We don't go eat breakfast with them. We don't go do an activity with them. And we've got to realize that if they're in our family, we need to get to know them. Now, let's go back to what he says at the very end. We're going to go to verse 29. And if you belong to Christ then you are Abraham's seed. He's talking about a single family now. Abraham's seed. Heirs according to the promise. Do you know what God told Abraham way back when he first came to Abraham? He said, look, I want you to become my man and your family to become my family. And I'm going to use you. I'm going to take you to this new promised land. But then I'm going to let you become a blessing to the nations. And everyone who believes by faith like you do, they're going to be a part of the family. And so... Abraham's initial promise, his initial thing that he got from God was, if you'll follow me by faith, everyone who follows me by faith, they'll all be in the same family with you. And so that's why Paul's able to say in verse 29, we're all a part of Abraham's seed. We're a part of his family. And so if we're gonna overcome our prejudices, then we need to get to know our family. Now, I want you to think about somebody with whom you've held a prejudice that you also know probably is a believer in Jesus Christ. What are you going to do when you get to heaven? And God's got his eternal kingdom going. And your mansion's right beside that person's mansion. And you've spent your whole lifetime on this earth. Holding them at arm's length. Saying they're the problem. It's them. They need to get their act together. And then you get to heaven and you both have believed in Jesus. And now you're. Neighbors, because you're all in the family. Why not go ahead and start doing that now? Do it right now. Build relationships with your family. Now, can we go back and look at that list that we started with in the first century? We've got three groups of people in that list. Jews and Gentiles, males and females, and free and slave. But three of those were in the position to hold the most prejudices, the Jews. They, they could have really held the Gentiles in a place of prejudice. They could have been prejudiced against them. In fact, part of the book of Galatians, part of the problem is there were Jews who had come into those four churches that I mentioned, and those Jews had come in there and said, if you really want to be a part of us, I know you know Jesus, but you still need to keep all these rules and all these laws and observe the special days. And so those Jews were basically saying to the Gentiles, if you don't do it like we do, then you can't be a part of us. And a part of the book of Galatians is Paul saying, hey Jews, you don't have a leg to stand on. It's all about Jesus. It's not about your rules. It's not about your laws. It's not about your special days. It's about Jesus. So you Jews, drop your prejudices and welcome the Gentiles. And then there were men. They were in the superior position. I mean, they were the kingpins of society. The women were still viewed as chattel. They were just property. And now Paul says, look, there's no difference between male and female in Jesus. So guys, get over your prejudice in thinking that you're better than the ladies and welcome them into the church. And then the free people, I mean, they had the leverage in the society over the slaves. And Paul says in this book, it's not going to be like that going forward. It doesn't matter if you're free or if you're a slave. When you meet Jesus, everything's leveled of the cross. And so you free people let go of your prejudices and welcome the slaves into the church. And I think that's maybe why Paul was so strong with these words. For those of you who were baptized into Christ, have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Heirs according to the promise. So Paul, even in the first century, is going to go ahead and do what Martin Luther King did in the 1960s and what God has asked us as a church to do in 2023. Because this is a huge issue. It's a huge issue. And this is the way I would summarize what I'm trying to say to you today. Today. The church living in unity, the church living in unity, that's us. And again, I think we're doing a good job. I just want to encourage us to keep doing this. The church living in unity is a signpost to the world of what God's kingdom is all about. You know, the world out there, that means those who are not believers in Jesus Christ, just people living their everyday lives, they are hungry for unifying places. That's why they're drawn to politics. That's why they're drawn to social clubs. That's why they're drawn to country clubs. People are hungry for unity. That's why people join the Bulldog Club. People want to get unified around something. Do you know that the church should be the greatest sign of what unity looks like? Because we're talking about a Jesus who died for everyone and for those who put their faith in Him. They're all going to spend eternity with him. And so we are the signpost. If the world wants to know what unity looks like, they should be looking at us. And that's why I want to encourage us to keep the journey going, to keep working at the unfinished task of unifying people in Jesus Christ. Now, it can only happen in Jesus can't be something we just go out and do on our own. It's got to be when we present the gospel and people respond and then we teach them how to live in unity as we prepare for the eternal kingdom. There are two questions I want to finish with. One is, if you're here today and you're not a believer, would you like to join the family today? Would you like to join the family of God? You can't. You can just simply come and say, I need Jesus. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. And when you do, he's going to adopt you into this beautiful family we call Cross Point, but even bigger into the family of God. So would you like to join God's family? And then the second question is for those of us who are believers, and it's, it's pretty simple as well. Will we join, that means us as a church, will we join God in His unfinished task of reconciling all people to Himself in Jesus? Hey, I think we're doing a good job. Let's keep doing it. I would love for us in the years to come, maybe when we move in that building, I keep praying that that's going to happen too. Don't know when, but you pray with me. Hey, y'all are doing a great job in giving to the Measurably More campaign Ms. Prosser gave me over the weekend, our November... Uh, records. I'm going to give those to you next week. But again, people are giving to immeasurably more in a great way. We're going to get to that building at some point. When we move in there, I'd love for us to see a good mix of white people and African-American people, wealthy people, poor people, middle-class people, international people. People who are hungry to know Jesus. People who want to live righteous lives so others can meet Jesus. I want us to be ethnically diverse because the gospel is for all people. And we want to reach the world for Jesus Christ. So let's keep up the good work. And this is Paul's encouragement to us as we celebrate the American society, Martin Luther King Jr. Weekend. Let's pray together. Father, um, sometimes these topics are heavy and they are challenging because when we look in the mirror, we know that some of what is being said is being reflected back to us. We're not the best at this. Our history and our parents and our politics and our pride just, All lead us to places where we naturally gravitate toward being prejudiced. So this morning, continue to do a work of discipleship in us and sanctify us to see the world as you see it. People who need your son, Jesus, help us to see that every day. May this invitation give us a chance to make decisions that you have impressed on our hearts by the power of your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.